So uh, a very warm welcome to everyone looking at tonight on uh, Facebook Live. Uh, welcome to another episode of Banter Over Whiskey. Tonight we uh, we have a very, very special guest on. Um, uh, what can we say? He's an icon of Australian whiskey. Uh, and before coming on tonight, I had the opportunity to chat to this gentleman um, and just have a quick talk to him about uh, his journey in whiskey. And for him, it started at the tender age of 10. He told me a little anecdote about him uh, sniffing and um, nosing his dad's whiskey. And, uh, well, I thought to myself, first thing was, uh, what a dad to be giving you. To uh, have, have an old man like that, it'll give you a whiskey. It reminded me of my old man uh, giving me a sneaky little pour of beer when I was about the same age. So um, he said by his mid-teens he was fascinated with whiskey. And um, I guess when he was legal, that's led him straight into bar work where he started working, tending bars and eventually managed them. And that fascination led to him travelling overseas where he's travelled extensively. He's travelled to the, uh, the motherland. He's travelled to Scotland, up and down Scotland. He's been to Ireland. He's been to England, Canada, the States, Japan. He's even been overseas to Tasmania. But uh, <laughs> he's, since, he's since settled in Byron Bay yeah, where he set up shop there. I, I hope I haven't, for all our, uh, for our listeners of the podcast, I hope, I hope I haven't given it away. And if I have, then uh, great guessing. So, let me introduce the man. Some people say his whiskies are as moody and dark as the steed riding Grim Reaper that adorns his bottles and merchandise. That he has the most evil grin in Australian whiskey. He's got more whiskey tails than he has tattoos. And he is the man who holds the razor sharp sickle over the throat of my wallet on every release week. He is the purveyor of all things highway whiskey. He is the man, Dan Woolley. Welcome to Banner Over Whiskey, Dan. Welcome, Dan. Thanks, <laughs> Welcome, Dan. Going, lads? How are we? So, um, yeah, good. so uh, we uh, have to be the luckiest bastards in Australia, I would suggest, the five of us at this stage, because um, one gentleman, John at Whiskey and Sound, John Yankowski, has uh, kindly sent us samples of batches one, two, and three. And we're going to work our way through them tonight, and obviously we're going to start at the beginning, Dan. Um, let's start with batch one. What can you tell us? Let's have a sip. Batch, one, batch one's really, it's it's actually quite meaningful to me. Uh, I've been friends with uh, Bill Lark for a very, very long time, you know, well over a decade now. And uh, William, as I like to call him, William has been hassling me for a very, very long time, for years and years and years and years, must be over a decade, he's been hassling me to actually start doing my own whiskey. Um, so it's it's thank, thanks to him and thanks to uh, Tim Duckett and Mr. Nick as well, the three of them that really pushed me to do my own, my own whiskey brand. And I was down in Tassie. For my birthday in 2016, so it's six years ago now, and I was at the Redlands Distillery, Old Kempton. Um, I can't remember if it was Redlands or Old Kempton at the stage. I think it may have even been Redlands uh, six years ago, 2016, and um, I said, fuck it. I'm going to get a couple of barrels uh, done by Redlands. And I thought, well, what I'm going to do, I thought logically about it, I thought I'm going to get two 20-litre barrels filled 
and aged for the first 18, oh, sorry, the first two years in uh, Tassie. But then I was going to get a second 20-litre uh, container of spirit sent to Byron Bay with duty paid on it already, so it was all legal. And I was going to fill a barrel in Byron Bay just to assess what the evaporation angel share would be like to see whether it was actually viable to uh, mature whiskey here in Byron Bay because I didn't really want to uh, stick all of my money, my reputation, my balls and everything on the line if the evaporation was going to be so intense that it would have been a complete and utter waste of time. So that, that was the first first cask that I filled in Byron Bay. That was in 2016 and filled two in Tassie, uh, 2016 as well. When the two in Tassie uh, became two years old, those two were two French oak 20-litre Apera casks. I tipped them and had them sent up here. The cask that I had ageing up here was a 20-litre French oak tawny cask. And I married all three of those casks together and I put them into a 60-litre French oak dry red wine, uh, super heavy char cask from Andy Young from the Seppelsfeld uh, Cooperage in, in SA. And I think it was in there for about another nine or 10 months altogether. The whiskey was just under three years old. Um, and it's quite cool because it's matured partly in Tassie, partly in Byron, then married together, and the last maturation uh, is in Byron as well. So Tawny Port, uh, Apera, and Red Wine. So lots and lots of oak interaction coming through. The cask strength on this, I can't remember the cask strength. John, have you got the bottle in front of you? think it was yes, it is 55.5 55.5 common recurring theme with my whiskies mm. so yeah 55.5 um for me it's I, I just love this whiskey i love old kempton um I, I think it's just fantastic that old kempton you know it's it, it's it's such a a lark family uh distillery that Bill uh, helped to set it up and, and work there. And Lynn has worked there for a number of years on and off. And Christy has worked there. And even Jack has worked there. So it really is. Um, it, it was so symbolic for me that my first cask was a Lark family connection cask, having such a, a great relationship with the, the Lark family. Um, I really look at them to be my, my Taswegian uh, family uh, over over the uh, the border there. Um, who's that? Sorry, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. How, oh, how embarrassment! You can, you can call your mum back later. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. Where do I watch this thing, Mick? <laughs> <laughs> we we need to find a suitable yeah. punishment for Mick later. Yeah, um, Mick, so. Mick, answer it. We need her to get on. We need we need one listener. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right. right. What do we think on the nose, guys? What 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 kind of flavours you got? For me, it's just a huge uh, 
huge fruit bomb in every way. It's got so much dark, dried stone fruit, um, lots and lots of almost black and dark red and black cherries that come through for me. So do, do I get a, do, I don't know if anybody else does, but I get a little bit of like a blood orange sort of. Yeah, there's a almost a marmalade note. Yeah, marmalade. That's what it is. Yeah. Marmalade. yeah. You know, yeah. you know, you know. Sometimes you're reading notes and they say Christmas cake, and I pour it and I drink it. There's no Christmas cake in there, and I wait half an hour and there's still no Christmas cake. There's Christmas this cake here. Christmas cake. Yeah. Heaps of yeah. it. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It's got um, is... currants and dried. Um, if you've ever had that orange peel candied orange peel that they put in christmas cake it's like a really intense sweet orange yeah. note maybe that's mm. what maybe that's what i'm getting yeah mm. very nice this is One very thing i really love about old old kempton's whiskies really really oily palate really really lovely oily mm. palate yeah It's right. It's right through your palate too, isn't it? It's um, mm -hmm. it's very nice. So getting back to the larks, how, how did how did your relationship come about with them? Then how did when, when did you first meet them? And did you specifically go to Tasmania to meet them, or was it? I did. Or? I did. I went to um, I think it was two thousand and nine, maybe two thousand and nine or two thousand ten, one or the other. Yeah. I was uh, writing for a um. Uh, an industry magazine. I used to have a uh, uh, monthly article called Key Components and it was spelled K-E-Y, but the E had brackets around it, as in whiskey, whiskey mm -hmm. with an E and whiskey without an E, key components. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I went down to Tassie to uh, meet Bill and interview Bill. I was doing a, a double-page spread article on uh, Tasmanian whiskey. And instantaneously, he made me feel uh, like part of the family from the first meeting. Um, and from there, we literally went to uh, to Tim Duckett's office. And it went um, drastically downhill very fucking quickly. Um, if you've ever been to Tim Duckett's office, uh, there's about 30 to 50 open cast strength whiskies that will be uh, inflicted upon you very, very fastly. Um, it's yeah. It's who was the last man standing on that occasion, mate? No one remembers. No <laughs> one remembers. Yeah. Don't um, want to incriminate and, anybody. That's a good. Yeah, idea. a few a few years after that, 2013. Bill and I did a trip together with a bunch of other whiskey enthusiasts through the whole of Japan, um, and it was I think it was about a 15 or 16 day trip. Um, starting at the bottom and going all the way up, all the way up to the top island. And uh, we went to Yamazaki, Hakushu, Yoishi and Miyagikyo. So the two main uh, Suntory distilleries and the two main uh, Nikka distilleries. And yeah, that was, that was, you know, back in the day where my most fond memory of that trip ever and it'll stick with me forever, is Bill and I went halves in a bottle of Suntory Yamazaki 18, and that was our train whiskey. So we were drinking that out of plastic cups on the train. Um, 
it, I think it cost us about 45 bucks each. So about $90 for a bottle of Yamazaki 18. Um, yeah, wow. it's, I think it's a little more expensive nowadays and definitely not something you drink out of plastic cups on the train. Speaking yeah. of that Just Yamazaki, I went, to, I went to three different bars last night and the price on the Yamazaki 18 was the difference in prices from the three bars. The cheapest was 109. I thought that was pretty reasonable. And the, the most expensive was 200. So there was a $91 difference between three bars. So we're talking about the price of, of whiskies. Um, did you guys see how much this whiskey went on the Australian whiskey auctions? Um, I think it was three auctions ago. It was no. over $1,200. Wow. Plus, the, plus the 10% um, mm -hmm. auction fee. So it would have been a, like $1,350 for a bottle of this whiskey. Well, well, does that make cheers, you Cheers, A little confused, to be honest. Sorry, Sorry mate. Sorry to hear that. It makes me, makes me feel a little confused, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, I don't know. I mean, it just, all you have to do is look at, Japanese whiskey, and you're pretty confused when it comes to the prices there. It's, yeah. I, at the end of the day, a whiskey is worth precisely as much as somebody is willing to pay for it. Not a cent yeah. more, not a cent less. If someone's going to spend that much money on a bottle of whiskey, that's their money. That's their whiskey. It's their fucking prerogative. You know, they can spend their money however they like. They're not hurting anyone. Um, is it doing any good or bad for the brand in general? I yet to to come to a conclusion. I can't necessarily see how it would be detrimental to the brand. If anything, it's probably raising the value um, of the brand. I think um, is it something that I wanted to happen? Is it something that I like happening? No, not really. But you know, there are a lot of avid collectors out there that want highwayman and they want to collect every single highwayman and there, there's quite a few of them out there and they're willing to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to get there yeah. so you know it's not like they're fucking buying heroin is it so you know more power to them man wow. well, is the we, we, we probably don't really know that for sure there's <laughs> <laughs> definitely an addiction there that's for sure but no mm. you're 100% right like if you're adamant on collecting, I mean, I know, I know I've got like my my three um, you know, distilleries that I've always supported and collected from day dot, you know, Hobart Whiskey, um, Blood Knock, and yourself as well. So um, yeah, that's yeah. To hear those figures is just absolutely mind-boggling. It is. It is. And I I actually I saved bottle number one of every single batch release ever. And they're in a cabinet. If you've ever seen uh, any photos that have gone up on social media of Highwayman HQ, there's a beautiful wooden and glass doored cabinet where bottle number one of every batch is there. Mm -hmm. And when my son turns 18, they'll all go to him. And I, I said to him that he's really excited and he's really, really happy about that. And I said to him, you need to, Sell those, put them up to auction, and you can buy yourself a really nice car for your 18th birthday. And he looked at me and said, I don't want to sell them, Dad. I want to drink them. <laughs> I just said, yeah. 
That was twice. Well done, man. Well done. Yeah. That's, that's well done. Right. Cheers yeah. to that one. That's, that's yeah. an awesome method. Mm-hmm. Cheers. <laughs> Yeah. Mm. Oh, it's beautiful wow. whiskey, isn't it? Really, really. Yeah. How's it feel to be revisiting this whiskey now after so long? Because I know, like, when we mentioned that we we're gonna uh, try these particular samples, it was like, shit. Um, <laughs> can someone help us out with some pours? So, how's it yeah. feel drinking like, some historical juice that you um, that you've Feels conjured good. up? Feels really, <laughs> really good. Um, it has been a while since I've had uh, batch one, two, and three. I really think that they're all three of them are exceptional whiskies. Um, I was very, very lucky to have really, really good whiskey to play with in in the first place. So, it, you know, there's a lot of people that have whinge and wine and carry on in regards to uh, highwaymen being this or highwaymen being that, but coming back to these, I mean, you guys can taste it. It is really, really fucking good whiskey, man. And I pu- I'll put it up against it any whiskey anywhere around the world. It's delicious. Really I'll good be, stuff. Uh, I'll be putting that uh, 10 mils of batch one up for auction next week, guys, if you guys want to bid on that. <laughs> we'll all chip in. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you lie. You lie, Vic. You're going to drink that before the night's over. Mate, um, going, going, going on about being a fan, you know, I got, I, I was late, I was late to the party as I always am, and I, I got on a batch ten, basically, Dan, and um, you know, I just contacted you out of the blue and pretty much got, you got me, you gave me batch ten because I grovelled like a baby. I said, do you have anything left there? But that's <laughs> that's that's the thing. A lot of people don't realise um, that. If you're a whiskey collector and a whiskey lover and you really want to get into Highwayman, all you have to do is send me a fucking message and I'll put a bottle aside for you. But people, you know, people are fucking assholes, as we know. Humans, human beings suck. Um, and they'd yep. rather have a whinge and a wine and a, and a carry-on on social media about how they can't get this and they get, fuck, that Highwayman guy sells out in two seconds. Well, you really want one. Send me a fucking message and I'll put one away for you. It's not that hard. Really not that mm-hmm. hard. So, And I always will for, for an avid whiskey lover, for someone that really, really wants to spend their hard-earned money. Because it's let's let's face it, it's it's $250 a bottle. It's not cheap. It's not your you know whiskey that you drink seven days mm-hmm. a week nonstop. It's a it's a beautiful premium whiskey. Uh, if someone wants to take their hard-earned money and spend it on my whiskey, I'm so grateful and so thankful, and I really, you know, acknowledge everyone that wants to spend their money on my whiskey, and I'll go out of my way to fucking make sure that they will get a bottle. So, and then all the people on social media that like to have a whinge and a wine and a carry-on, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. those sort of people whinge, well, whinge about the sun coming up, don't they? they do. You're fast becoming exactly. my favourite distiller. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you get, you get, do you get those sponges asking you for samples instead oh, of yeah. buying a freaking bottle? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Not only that, I get um, there's a, there's a few different uh, people on Instagram more than than Facebook, but uh, yeah, they they. They like to pose in front of the camera with bottles, but they never actually buy a bottle. And I, I get messages all the time, just wondering how how do you taste your whiskey? Well, you 
jump on the fucking website and buy a bottle. That's how you do it. <laughs> like everyone else. Oh, I, I see, I see like their, their, their angle. They're saying, how do you taste your whiskey? Not How do I purchase a bottle? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. How does one get around to tasting your whiskey? Pretty easy. You buy a bottle and then you open it and drink Here's it. Here's my BSB. Here's my account number. Yeah. Money goes in there. Whiskey turns up at your house. It's that simple. It's not that hard. No. <laughs> Well, it's one thing I've, I've made sure, and I remember saying this as well at uh, one of the tastings at the Elysium, Dan, that once I was able to get my hands on all 10 of these batches, I didn't want it to be that that shelf piece where, like, I've, I've got to wait to find out about it. Like, at least I know with whatever I've collected, I know what's in that bottle. But for yeah. these, because the bottlings were so exclusive, like the first bottle, was um, it yielded 80 bottles. So if yeah. you were fortunate enough to get your hands on one, you were able to try it. And once I got all 10, the deal was I was going to pour, I've done a little competition where I poured 50 mil samples of each and I randomly gave those to, uh, I think Tristan Farmer ended up with those samples. So, you know, good on him. And 200 mil of each of those bottles, I then poured straight into these and they've never been opened since. And like what you're doing with all bottle number ones with your son, now Celine's going to get these to trial out as well. So nice. 200 mil of your first 10 bottles. And you know what? I'll probably even do the same again with your OB bottlings as well. So, yeah. but yeah, so at least that way we can enjoy because then I've got two or I've got 300 mil there to share around and to. Yeah, enjoy it in good company. And that's I, what it's about. Whiskey I make it, needs people. Yeah, that's what I make it for. I make it for people to yeah. drink. I don't make it for to go on the shelf and look pretty. You know, I'm I'm pretty mm. enough, mate. I'm a fucking stunner. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of drinking, I just had a, a little bit of a conundrum before we got on here. I um I didn't realise how much I drank last weekend and I tried looking for fire and flood and for the life of me I can't find it in my cupboard. So, really? Do you think you maybe drank it, the whole bottle, by accident? Well, it certainly chance. wasn't by accident. It's pretty easy stuff, man. I've got to tell you, the, the release, um, the AWAS single cask mm. that sold out during the week, yeah. fuck, mm -hmm. that is going to shock some people. It is... It's the closest whiskey I've ever had to a Laphroaig 10 car strength. And it is, it's huge. Absolutely <laughs> mammoth whiskey. Yeah, huge peak. Did we try that at the last tasting? No, no one's tried it. No, no one's tried wow. it. Yeah, it's... The, uh, what I uh, got off that, uh, that little Facebook post of you and pouring the barrel out, you looked at the person holding the camera and went, can you fucking smell that? Yeah, he is so into this. Look at him. You fucking smell that. Everyone smells and tastes it. Says the same thing. It is. People are just shocked. People like what? I've never come across anything like this in Australian whiskey in my life. It is. Yeah, it's. It's big. It's big. I've got to send a a sample over to John Campbell over in Scotland. He's not. He's actually not on Isla anymore. He's. He's on the mainland, but yeah, I'll, I'll be really, really, really keen to hear what he says because he, he's a big fan of my whiskies so far, but he hasn't tasted uh, any peated Highland Man yet. So, 
Yeah. Wow. You may know a thing or two about peated whiskey too. Yeah, just, yeah, just a smidge. Just a bit. <laughs> so, uh, how are we going, gentlemen? Have we all? Uh, have we all? Are we all done with batch one? Yeah, I'm I reckon so. Batch two. Yep. <laughs> halfway through batch two. They stand, I'm going to stand on ceremony, Brad. Just hook in. Sorry. So, yeah, okay. So, let's... Uh, no, no, it's all good. So, yeah, let's move on. All to, right, uh, batch two. Batch Does anybody know where batch two come from? I'm not answering this one. I know. So, batch two is the same distillate as batch ten. It is uh, milled, mashed, fermented, and distilled. By myself and the distiller at the time at Young Henry's in New South Wales. Um, they have an absolutely fantastic hybrid still. It's uh, a huge copper pot that goes into a number of columns and you can literally just turn a lever and you just turn all the columns off. That just becomes one big copper pot. Um, I was the first one to make whiskey with those guys. We actually made this over a thousand liters uh, at the distillery, sorry, at the brewery uh, aging at the moment. Um, and there's plans for that whiskey to be released uh, at some stage. Some of it's five and six years old now. Um, this was uh, the first experiment with it in small casks. The other casks that were filled were all 100 liter casks. This was two 20 liter French oak tawny casks uh, they were sourced from Taz Cask Co um, and these were number two and number three casks to be filled in Byron Bay and aged in Byron Bay um, they were aged for about 18 months then they were tipped married together and put into uh, one of those 60 litre French oak super heavy dry red wine casks um it was in there for about another nine ten months um, and this was when i realized at this stage after i tipped these casks that um experimenting with 20 liter casks um at either first fill or second fill and then tipping them marrying them and then going into a, a larger cask for another you know eight or nine months was going to give me an, an absolutely exceptional whiskey that would be comparable to a 12 or 15 year old scotch in you know two two and a half years in Byron Bay um, being the the heat and humidity driving factors in the in the rapid uh, maturation of these whiskies so let's have a little nose at this one man that is freaking delicious that is, is what you boys super syrupy compared to the first one so sweet yeah Definitely. It's, Definitely. Cer it's certainly more delicate than the on the nose than the first one to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's more zesty. Mm. Definitely more zesty. Like the uh, like the first one was very like um uh, um yeah, like it was just it's very dark fruits. This is like this is a lot more it's it's like blazed cherries and like red apples and like a like syrup, like golden syrup over the lot. It's yeah, very. I'm sure. I know. I know. John's heard me talk about this before. But when when I look at unpeated whiskies, um, and even peated peated whiskies to a lesser extent, and try and break down the different uh, flavors that you're getting either through 
the aroma on the nose or through the you know the taste on your palate I, I like to try and break them into three different groups of sweet spice and fruit and i think the, the first one was more fruit driven um, this one is definitely more sweet driven it's um like a almost like a bag of mixed lollies it's got like almost gummy bear sweetness on the nose you get a bit of strawberry and cream, actually, now that you say yep. that. Yeah. Yeah, Mick. I get, it. I get some redskins in it. Love it. Redskins, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, Probably a bit much. of that. Um, mm. bit of the red, red, red apple more. as well, like those, if you've ever ever had those uh, toffee apple lollies, those mm. long, red, chewy toffee apple lollies. Mm. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Definitely a, a bit of musk coming through that red skin. Yeah, it's really good whiskey. So what do you look for? What what every time you like, you put like how do I say it? What do you, what do you look for when you when you make whiskey, mate? What what are the ones? What what does what 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 symbolises Highwayman to you? you for me, it's all it's one hundred percent flavour driven. There's nothing else in it for me. I'm not in it to make millions of dollars. Yeah, I'm not in it to make a. Uh, a normal everyday drinking whiskey at an affordable price. I'm not in it to make uh, whiskey to sell in 36 different countries around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, that there's one driving component, and it's to make an absolutely delicious whiskey. Um, for me as well, one of the driving factors, one of the most important things for me when it comes to bottling a highwayman is you know i i've so far i have not released a whiskey that i'm not 100 percent proud of and would stand by time after time after time and be super proud on any stage talking about but the driving component for that for me is when i when i nose it and when i taste it i have to ask myself would i be happy spending $250 on this bottle of whiskey. Is this what I'm nosing and what I'm tasting right now? Is this worth $250? And then most importantly, would I buy it again? Would I turn around and buy another bottle? And if the answer is yes, then it's ready to be thrown in a bottle and a Highwayman label on the front. Real 420, Brad. Real 420. I said, remember that when you went there? I said, get a bottle of Real 420, mate. You, that was a, that was a uh, light on in the head moment for me. I'd never tasted anything like that, mate. It was just... Yeah. I've had three yeah, bottles a, of it. It's um, it's, it's yeah, funny, you know, it. like your, your question was about sort of like you were sort of asking what is there a, a profile for home? And, mm. and I think it's the opposite of that. I feel like every whiskey that you have from from Dan is um, something different to yeah. every other one that you've had before. But mm -hmm. like, as you said, Dan, like you can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong. I, I would suggest that um, yours and there's probably a couple of other um, whiskeys that I will buy um, without without even having a second thought because I know that the quality's there and it's, it's worth every cent. So, Thanks, man. Thank you. Um, that's, and, and I think that's I think that's kudos to your your ethos that that that's what you want to put out, right? So yeah, and it, it will never 
I'll never, never ever sacrifice um, quality just to throw something in a bottle. I just won't do it. I won't do it. it, it if it means that, you know, there'll be a, a nine, ten-month period where I don't release anything, then so be it. And, you know, that, that happened probably seven or six months ago. Uh, there, there was Maybe it wasn't that long, but it was a solid six or seven months where I, I didn't have anything and I had to actually uh, borrow $10,000 from my mum just to, you know, get by, um, which I've, you know, paid back, but I'd, I'd rather not release something. I know there's there's a lot of uh, craft distilleries that don't have that luxury to be able to wait. And, you know, I, I, I'll i never pretend that I like drinking juniper-flavoured vodka um, just so I can throw the shit in the bottle and sell it. <laughs> Um, I, I don't have tattooed on my knuckles. I have whiskey tattooed on my knuckles. So, you know, for me, it's all about the whiskey. I, I'm not going to pretend that I like something just to get by. I, you know, I, I have a lot of friends that I can I can borrow money off them to to get by a few quiet months. Having said that, now uh, I won't have to do that again because I have an absolute metric shit ton of whiskey coming um there's literally nine i've got nine different batches in three months uh coming um two of the batches uh that the awas one um and there's another one which uh the the tattersall's club in brisbane bought an entire cask off me so there's two that are already neither of them (laughs) They've both been bought. Neither of them have been bottled yet or uh, labelled or dispatched, obviously. So, yeah, they're the, they're the first two off the rank. And then there's something else coming. Um, it was going to come on Friday. And then I thought, no, I'll do it on Thursday, but I'm actually going to do it on Wednesday night. And I think you guys know what I'm alluding to. Something very <laughs> different. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's it's a testament. Uh, like, uh, um, you've actually just proven what you've you've said just then with what you've done with the AWIS uh, release. Like, you had something else in mind that was you in, yeah. like intended first off, and you just said, nah, "Not happy with that." And then you've gone and bottled something else instead. So it's yeah. just it proves once again that you're not willing to sacrifice for one split second that it could potentially go tits up on the juice you yep. want it to be 110 percent before you put your name to it yeah and every bottle that's been cracked open with your name on it so far has just been big bountiful flavors just like you either really like it or you don't like it at all and you know what if you don't like it at all don't drink it it's more for us to drink so yeah you know, it's not for everyone i mean if you if you look at Look at Lefroy. Lefroy's not for everyone. You know, it's, it's a yeah. polarizing flavor. Uh, people do love it, uh, or they hate it. There's no, there's no gray area with Lefroy. It's black and white, love or hate. And you know, if somebody doesn't, like it, it just doesn't mean that, you know, they do have a better or worse palate. It just means that they, they like different flavors. And I, I find that that's exactly the same with Highwayman. You know, it, it is huge 
big, massive, bold flavors. It's unapologetic. It's really, really intense whiskey. And that's the type of whiskey that I love to drink myself. So that's the type of whiskey that I love to make and, and put in a bottle and, and share it with, with all my friends and with Highwayman fans around the country. Well, fortunately, yeah. we're all massive fans of what you do here, mate. So, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much, boys. Mate, like I said, I got on a batch 10 and I have, I won't say how many bottles I have of yours, but, you know, I got on batch 10. I've got, let's say I've got over 10 bottles of yours. So you can see how quickly I've started, mate. It's a percentage of my collection. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> well, it Absolutely. is. There's, Thank you, there's mate. Three, Thank there's you. three Australian makers, you, Overeem, and Backwoods, and you guys make up 30% of my collection. Yeah, now we'll just have to get get rid of the other seventy, mate, and we're we're all good. <laughs> <laughs> now, a small like a fun fact with what just got finished off in that glass there too. So this was one of thirty five bottles as yeah. well. What? So this was ever. really wow. yeah, this was mega mega like this was record time selling. I remember on the day because I was. I was one of those guys that had the finger on the button, smashing that refresh button. Paul, Lord Byron's website absolutely crashed. But it did. you know what? It was worth it in the end. Um, you know, um, it wasn't actually, it was a record at the time, but since batch 2.3, Rye So Serious, mate, that yep. one, um, 46 bottles in that batch. And sold out in ninety seconds. Oh. Yeah, that is ridiculous. But that's I, haven't, I haven't cracked it. I haven't cracked it yet, Dan. I think it's one of the best whiskies I've ever made. To be honest, it's. Um, I, I don't think I've ever seen or heard of an Australian single malt aged in an American rye whiskey cask. Um, I know Archie Rose have aged some of their whiskies, some of their single malts in some of their own rye whiskey casks. But if you've tasted American rye whiskey and you've tasted Archie Rose rye whiskey, you'll know that they are chalk and cheese, a very, very different style of whiskey. Um, and yeah, my, I, I really, really love that's To be honest, it's, it's one of the whiskies that I I wish I actually kept a couple more bottles. I've only got that one bottle in my um, in the case at the distillery. Um, so, and I've got about thirty mil in a bottle, which I'll probably drink within the next couple of months. Yeah, very good whiskey. <laughs> um, Dan, is that? Oh, maybe maybe you've already spoken about this. I might have missed it. But the um, that one's is that forty only forty six percent? That one. 46.8. Yeah. Uh, 40, 46.8. 46 yeah. Um, it, it was the first time that I'd played around with the ABV. And I really, to be honest, I really enjoy the lower ABV on that one. But you'll probably notice it was also the last time I played around with the ABV on uh, a Highwayman whiskey that I distilled and aged myself. Um, I just found... Uh, the different different ABVs, the different strengths were just performing differently. Uh, some some better, some worse. That for that particular batch, 
it wasn't drinking as well at 55 as it was at 46. I just wanted to make sure that it was above 46 so, you know, I could still uh, not chill filter and not not do anything to it to remove any haziness. Not that I would, but, uh, yeah, it just it just drank. It literally drinks like water at 46.9 or 46.8. Yeah, very, very good. Yeah, if, absolutely. If if you've got your first glasses there, go back and smell yeah, the glass. Yeah. It's just yeah. super dusty. It is so awesome. Yeah. I love it. Oh, wow. Super, super, super dusty. That's actually a really good uh, description. You're right there. You're right. It is. It's like those fruits you know, just turned... But that's actually very... changed in the last five minutes because it wasn't like that in the, five minutes ago. No, just... no it's, it's almost like, um, like wet... Like forest floor, like uh, wet soily, yeah, 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 wet grass. Yeah. Let's not use yeah. the word dank. Dank. Hey, Dan, before we get on to the third one, oh, yeah. one, one thing we haven't touched on, and I'm sure well, it is close to your heart and we'd all like to hear about it, is um, uh, the fundraising that you've done and what's happened down around your your part of the world and how people got smashed. And and um, would you like to touch on that? Yeah, it hasn't hasn't been a good time here in Byron Bay. Uh, I'm sure all of you have seen and heard uh, about the floods and they've been pretty brutal. Uh, I've seen... Some heavy devastation go on in regards to people's homes and businesses and their lives just being tipped upside down. And uh, for me, I I actually had to evacuate with my uh, dog and my 75-year-old mum in waist-high water, which had pretty intense current. I nearly lost my dog in in the water. He nearly got uh, pulled under and away. And, yeah, just... uh, it was a, a massive eye-opener, and uh, for me, I wanted to to do something to help the community because even though uh, I went through a pretty horrible experience, at the end of the day, my house and my business were unaffected, so I, I still consider myself to be very, very lucky, um, and I wanted to help my uh, community and, you know, friends and and people around me that weren't so lucky and uh, about a block and a half from my house is the Mullumbimby uh, Civic Community Centre and that very, very quickly became the headquarters for all of the flood relief, whether it was uh, housing and clothing people, feeding people, whether it was sending rescue teams out to uh, help people that were still trapped um, clean up crews, feeding, cleaning up crews, and there, there wasn't anything that these guys weren't doing. Um, and it cost about six thousand dollars a day to keep that going, and of course uh, zero money from the Australian government, whether it be federal or state, not a single cent. Um, having said that, 
the New South Wales Premier found it a perfectly welcome place for him to come and do a press conference out in front of, even though he wasn't really helping. Um, And I thought it would be really good for me to bring the whiskey community of Australia together in regards to a auction, which I had 25 bottles uh, put forward from different whiskey companies, different whiskey distilleries um, and different whiskey collectors. And they were all went up to auction, including bottle triple zero of my first peated batch, which I aptly named Fires to Floods, um, being the shit time that we uh, have had here in the last few years. Of course, the uh, the beautiful filling of that shit sandwich was uh, COVID-19 in between the fires and floods. So it hasn't hasn't been a lot of fun. Um, Not that it's been a lot of fun for anyone, but particularly here, it's been pretty crap. Um, That bottle, uh, bottle triple zero, I put into the auction. It actually went for over 1,200 Australian dollars. And um, yeah, people like uh, Christy Lark put a bottle of Kalara in that went for about the same as well. And yeah, that that auction, we raised uh, $12,000 or $13,000 from that auction. And I also hosted different tastings, uh, Brisbane, Byron, Sydney, Melbourne, and Tassie. Um, and from all those different tastings and from the auction, where I managed to raise about $30,000 for the Mullumbimby Civic District Centre, which basically means that it operated wow. for an entire week. Um, thank you to the Australian whiskey community. So thank you very much to you boys and everyone else that that spent money and and helped to to come together as a as a community. And it was quite funny the the lady that runs the community. Her name is uh, her name is uh, Julie. And uh, she, when I had the first meeting with her, I said I'm going to get the whiskey community of Australia together to to help you guys. And she looked at me and held my hand and went. There's a whiskey community of Australia. <laughs> but yes, there's a lot of us kiss heads, and we we love our whiskey, and we we're pretty good people, and we're going to come together and and help you guys out. So yeah, it, it's been pretty amazing. Yep, and I've still got some of that um, that bacon from the Elysian tasting with the Saltsmith boys. That was phenomenal. We were fortunate enough to pair three. Uh, whiskeys with uh, some bacon from the Saltsmith boys, and we had the opportunity to buy um, three packs for $30, which I believe went straight to that fund, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, yeah, that, it's um, I'm actually going to be cooking up some more of that tomorrow morning for breakfast with the wife. So, yeah, good yeah, stuff. I got some as well. Yeah, there's none of mine left, man. <laughs> oh, it's phenomenal stuff! It's phenomenal stuff. I managed to so convert awesome. my uh, my son. My son's ten and a half years old, and uh, his mother convinced him at a very young age that meat wasn't good for him. And over the last few years or so, I've managed to turn him. And now his favourite <laughs> thing in the entire world is bacon. He wants bacon twenty four seven, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So it's possibly my proudest dad moment so far. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
It does. Speaking, yeah, of, speaking of proud dad, do you think do you think he might follow in dad's footsteps? Is he is he interested? Oh, he's already helping me fill casks, helping me tip casks. He helps me bottle, helps me label, helps me dispatch, wow. does everything for me. He um. Does he give you, he, does he give you, does he give you any criticism? Does he tell you you're not pulling your weight? He's my he's my harshest critic, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's um he's a very very good kid my my boy Jackson James Woolley he's a very very good kid I'm very lucky to have him he uh, definitely 100% will be following in my footstep footsteps he um he I would say I've told him already by the time he's 18 um, and leaves high school he'll be working with me 100% full time and then from 18 to 21 those three years there I'll train him up. Uh, in everything 100% and I'll actually take a bit of a step back and he'll become the, the face and the name and and start to own yeah. the entire business. So you've got about 10 more years putting up with me and then you'll have to put up with him. How are you going to feel the day that he belts out a better whiskey than you, mate? I'll be the proudest <laughs> motherfucker on planet yeah. Earth. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, no, no, I mean, it has, it's it's got to be. Set, that's what you hope, don't you? You hope you hope yeah. it'll be better than you. Yeah, hundred percent. I hope so, man. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of which, let's get stuck right. into the third and um, yeah, the third sample, third and well, not third final. And final. No, not third and not final. final. Yeah. yeah, tonight. Third and not final. Ish. This is one of uh, one of fifty bottles at fifty five point five percent. Yep. Wow. Talk us through, So this is a really, really interesting one. I'm very, very happy that we're doing this particular whiskey because this whiskey was distilled on the same still that I run in Byron Bay. So this is Adam's Distillate. Um, it was distilled on my still when the Adam's boys wow. still owned it in Tasmania. And I bought quite a number of casks off them. I bought uh, quite a number of 20-litre uh, lots of spirit off them as well. This particular one, I thought I'd change it up a little bit. And I experimented with different oak varieties. Uh, mm. It is a French oak 20-litre tawny and an American oak 20-litre tawny. I then, after 18 or 19 months, I tipped them, married them together, and gave them a second maturation in, again, a super red Sepultsfield cask from Andy Young. And it's very, very different wow. to any of the whiskeys that we've looked at so far. This mm. one's mega earthy. Mega yeah, I was earthy. just yeah, about to say, it's, it's very... almost like... Um, mm. Wet soil, very much like wet soil, or mm. it's got a really earthy, damp forest floor, wet soil, almost wet bark. Oh. Yeah, yeah. oddly mm. more towards the wet bark. It's almost got eucalypt in it as well. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Like bordering on tea tree as well. To, yeah, like going back mm. to the first class and stuff like that, and that had like our wet forest yeah, floor, but this is, it's it's another yeah, it's, it's another dimension there. Definitely, uh, got, definitely got happening on it. When I first smelled it, I got, I got the ripest banana smell and like sticking your head 
in a bag of freshly ground, really strong coffee, like the the most intense coffee yeah, smell. I think if I remember correctly, I think I had um, uh, mocha, so like chocolate coffee in the tasting notes. There's definitely like sweet, uh, almost. If you have a smell, you know the uh, Cadbury's uh, powdered drinking chocolate? Yes. Yep. Smells like that. The dark chocolate, I'd say. Very, yeah, it's like a dry cocoa style. It is. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really funny. I was mm. thinking I was thinking about the, you know, the, um, is it, uh, I can't remember what it's called, the Cadbury's chocolate with, with raisins in it? Or, or yeah, oh, yeah. the rum and raisin. Um, rum and raisin. Yeah, that, that's, that's that's absolutely what I get. Oh, gold. gold. That's it. Oh, yeah. gold. Oh, gold. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah it definitely has that rum and raisin going on. In fact, that was in the tasting notes too. Sorry, I've got yeah. my dog here. He's um. Oh, how's he going? He's, jamming, he's jamming, his, yeah. jamming his toy oh. into my leg like he wants to play. <laughs> can, we, can we see him? Can we see? Yeah, yeah, see Did they still have a dog? Is your dog? Oh, oh is. no. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. He's a blue. So much. My goodness, yeah. he's grown so much. He's a big bull head now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I remember him as a puff. Bloody hell. Yeah, his, head, his head's filled out so much that a lot of people actually see him on the street. They think he's got, uh, they think he's got staffy in him because he's got a, like yeah. a big. Pop a big mm -hmm. head now. He's playing with it. I don't know if you can hear him growling. You can hear him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see he keeps a good He's eye not... on what's going on in the in the distillery too. When you when you when you pour in barrels and stuff like that, he's he's always sitting there just watching what's going on. He's, mate, he's with me twenty four seven. He uh, he's only there for the bungs, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know it. You know it. Yeah. He's he's a rat bag. He he always steals the chocks. From um, from underneath barrels and barrels start rolling away. Mm -hmm. He's a he's a rat bag. He's he sleeps mm -hmm. in bed with me. He goes to work with me every day. He's with me twenty four seven. Man, he's my best mate. Proper I love him. Dog. Yeah, he still he steals your chocks. He chews them yeah. up, does he? He does. He does. He's he a true distillery he... dog, man. <laughs> Come here. He's a he's a good boy. He's still a baby, so he still you know he chews on bits of wood because that's he likes to play, but. He's he's just over two and a half now, so we still still a little fella. So what do we think of that? He's not a man? little fella. He, he's he little is. Fella. He'll always be. <laughs> he's he's so a little stocky that, fella. Did we see that question, folks? We've had uh, yeah. David and Carolyn Taylor. They asked, uh, "What was it?" So, what's next, Dan? Um, yep. For me, what's next in your grand plan is the actual question. I have quite a lot coming on the next three months for me is a monumental stage for Highwayman and the business in general. I have a lot of peated barrels coming up. Um, the AWAS one, the uh, the peated uh, first fill bourbon. I also have a peated apera. I also have a peated refill wet tawny. I also have peated PX. I also have peated refill bourbon. Um, these are all coming up in the next three months. And I just employed my first two part-time employees. Um, so they're going to be helping me uh, in regards to uh, filling barrels, tipping barrels, bottling, labelling, dispatch, etc. 
And it's a perfect time for me. Uh, I'm going to be holding at Highwayman Headquarters uh, Winter Whiskey Feast. So I will have four different chefs outside of... Yep, I think you might have to. Four different chefs outside uh, the cellar door (laughs) with each chef is going to have a whole beast on a spit. Um, and oh, all all peated whiskies, um, and wow. four different beasts on spits. And I will also be launching my uh, collaboration with Colt Hot Sauce. Uh, we'll be doing the launch of the Highwayman Whiskey Barrel Aged Hot Sauce there oh. um, with peated whiskies and lots right. and lots of meat. So, yeah. Gents, we've just, just found out where we're going to do our first out, um, outside broadcast for the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's exactly. Yeah. That is exactly what I thought, Adrian. That's it. When's this? When's this bit coming? I was supposed to lock in the date uh, yesterday, but I'm still mm-hmm. going back and forward with the chefs trying to lock because there's four different chefs. So it's not wow. so easy locking them all into a Saturday. But I would say it'll either be the last Saturday in July or the first Saturday in August, one or the other. So, yeah, really, really big few months for me. Uh, May, June, July, August as well, all the way up to, to mm-hmm. basically three months from now. And then I am going to take a week off uh, in September. And I am going to take my son to Disneyland in Japan for his birthday. So good on you! Awesome, yeah. good awesome. on you! That is awesome. That is that's fantastic. And you know what? After the shit show that Australia, well, the yeah, that the world's basically had over the last couple of years, that is going to be so refreshing to be able to do that as well. So you know what? That's I hope he has a birthday that he will never forget. So exactly, yeah. Mate, how um, that's awesome. Dan, how many times have you been to Japan, mate? Don't know. Oh, that many? Uh, times? I would say maybe maybe fifteen. Yeah, a it's lot. Just, sorry, the co- sorry. The correct answer is not enough. Yeah, that is the correct <laughs> answer. Yeah, I think they're they're opening back up in June. That's what I've heard. Yeah, it's supposed uh, to be June. Mate, for, anyone hasn't been, for anyone that hasn't been to Japan, uh, it, you know, hospitality-wise, it's just next level. You just can't describe it, can you? Just how hospitable those people are and service. There's a reason I've been so many times, and it is just the, the food and the bars and the whiskey is, it's, yeah, next level. Next yeah, level. Absolutely. What was the, um, can I just start? I mean, this isn't anything to do with oil. I mean, what was, the, what was the Yamazaki tour like? Because last time I was in Japan, it was shut. So it was, like, it was a, what a bit of a pisser. I wanted to go there and it's not it's shut. Um, it was fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. I loved it. Yep. Absolutely loved it. You know, I've been, I've been to the Yamazaki distillery probably eight or nine times, I'd oh, say. Wow. Um, That's how fantastic it is. You don't get sick of it. Well, I, you know, I worked for Suntory for, for nearly six years, five and a half yep. years. So for me, uh, a lot of the time that I'd be going, most of the times that I went were, were work-related. Um, okay. So, yeah, it's it, 
I'm very, very lucky and fortunate to have been in the position that I was and, and being, you know, part of the, the Suntory team there and having access, backstage access pretty much to, to production and to casks and being treated really, really well, which, you know, it's, yeah. it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I'm very lucky. And very so us, I, I am I am I am massive fan of Jim Beam and Suntory bought Jim Beam and I see it as a, an advantage. Um, tell yeah. us about Suntory. What what is what's their um what's the mentality mentality like over there? What do um, they think? Suntory, what's their approach? It's they are very much uh, a traditional Japanese uh, mentality, traditional Japanese family-owned mentality. So they're, they're very tight-lipped. They run a very, very uh, closed-doors operation. Um, a lot of their stuff is, uh, you know, off, out of bounds for everyone. So um, they're, for me, I, I, I feel that they, without Suntory, Japanese whiskey would not be what it is today. There's no way it would be. Um, obviously, Masataka Taketsuru and, and Nika uh, play a very, very inaugural part and just as important in my eyes as Suntory. But without without those two companies, without Nika and Suntory, Japanese whiskey would be n nothing compared to what it is today. Um, they they have a vision and they're, they're really uh, driven and determined unlike any I would say, unlike any alcohol company in the world, you know, their their acquisition of Jim Beam back in the day uh, was, I think, thirteen or fourteen billion US dollars. That that acquisition was uh, accompanied to a, a business plan that uh, that business plan <laughs> goes for a hundred years. So they wrote a business plan for the next hundred years. They're um, is, no one does that shit, man. They're, they're, they're Asians, mate. They, you know, it's not being racist, but they play the long game, man. They do. Chinese, mate. They play the long yep. game. They can yep. they can do it over a hundred years, like you say. Yeah. They're, they're that far. They like they think their grandparents, their grandkids, they're not thinking about their, you know. Yeah. 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 Pretty it's awesome. Pretty exciting. Pretty pretty amazing. Um, the fact that they have distilleries in. Canada, they have distilleries in the United States of America, they have distilleries in Japan, distilleries in Ireland and distilleries in Scotland, and they're just the whiskey distilleries. You know, there's not many other companies in the world that have distilleries in uh, five different countries. You know, there's, there's only a handful of those that have whiskey distilleries in five different countries. And, you know, Diageo is one. Um, I don't think Pernod Ricard have have more than uh, Scotland and Ireland. Um, when it comes to Brown Foreman, they've got uh, the United States of America and Scotland. Um, so, yeah, you know, D Diageo were uh, definitely watching their backs, I think, when it comes to Suntory, and, and rightfully so, rightfully so. So look, can I can I ask where your water comes from? Where my water comes from? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, sure. Sure. So the um, the distillery 
uh, is owned by the Restall family, the distillery, Lord Byron Distilleries of Rum Distillery. Um, Monday to Friday, they actually make rum. Um, absolutely beautiful, uh, pure single rum. There it is, right there. Really, oh, really good. delicious, pure single rum. It's a really good-looking bottle, isn't it? It looks uh, delicious. Oh, rum it's well. it's yeah. delicious. Really, really good stuff. Um, they own a farm uh, in, in the Byron Shire, in, in Middle Pocket, just near uh, Billy Nudgel. And the water actually comes from the natural streams and brooklets that run through the farm. Um, they, they take that water into the distillery and it's run through a UV uh, filtration just to kill anything that may be living in there. And yeah, that's the water that we use uh, for production. Excellent, excellent. Not tap water like some people. Excellent. No. I'm glad to hear Definitely that. Not. So, Dan, mate, we've uh, we've pushed past an hour, Mia. Um, you have to keep talking, mate. Would you like to Would you like to wrap it up, mate? Then, uh, oh, mate, if you boys have got some more questions, then yeah, we, we can definitely keep talking. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna I was just gonna add to what our thoughts were on the palate on this particular whiskey because this was just dynamic, really, yeah. man. You know what? And yeah. it sets a tone as to why you. Bought the still and yeah. the mash tun off these guys to begin with because it makes such amazing spirit. Mm. It's so it's chocolatey. It's there's Very so chocolatey. much mm. that comes through. Yeah, and that that old gold fruit and nut rum and raisin mm. that that is just yeah, yeah absolutely running through the entire mm. palate of this whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Shines right through, and it works. And I know you don't like beer, Dan, but it actually works really well as a boiler maker pairing with this stuff in Russian, as we're finding out, which is an imperial stout. <laughs> so, but that's yeah, it's it's good stuff. And we'll like um, and later in your independent, well, yeah, in your IB bottlings, you also use this distillate numerous times as well. Yeah, so this particular distillate is uh, in batch six, seven, eight, and nine. Um, and then, so it was three, six, seven, eight, and nine, and then ended up becoming my own my own mash tun, my own still. So it became uh, from batch, uh, well, single cask one was the first, first Byron Bay whiskey that I released. Um, also batch... Uh, 2.0, the real 420, which was the the first batch release. Um, so there's definitely that um, that correlation, um, that connection, and that intrinsic link. You know, those the parallel similarities between the whiskies are unmistakable. But I think it's also because of the uh, the Byron Bay climate um, that the the casks are aged in definitely make a huge impact. On the overall flavour and and the finish of the whiskey, it's almost like a it, like you're you're starting to create like some form of uh, like terror where people know that it's it's Byron Bay juice that it's coming from Highway Man. Like you can like almost pick it in a blind. It's like yeah, I know what I'm drinking here. And yeah, I think which is what I that, want. That's what yeah. I want. I want to have. I want Highway Man to have its own DNA. Um, yep. And I think I'm definitely, definitely heading in that direction. And I think the way that you've done it with the independent bowlings too was the perfect way to leap into 
you know, your your OB bottlings as well. Yeah. So yeah, I reckon you couldn't have done it any better. So yeah, job well done. Really Dan, do you have a preference? Do you have a preference where your grain comes from? Uh, like do you have some so like un- do you find that the grain is, some grain is better? Unpeated is uh, a local New South Wales uh, grain which we use um, and source from our maltsters. Um, the difference between the, the unpeated and the peated, the peated is two-thirds uh, Scottish peat, peated barley, um, blended with one-third local New South Wales to get my exact mash bill the way that I like it. So that's the difference between the, the two different um, two different spirits. I'm, I'm very fortunate because I have... Uh, when it comes to cask variety, um, I have uh, 20 litre, 30 litre, 40 litre, 50 litre, 60 litre, 100 litre, 120 litre and 200 litre casks. They're the different sizes. Um, and then when it comes to the different wood variety, I have 22 different types of wood. Um, and then if you look at those 22 different types of wood, you can basically say that I have 44 different types of wood because I have peated spirit and unpeated spirit. So I have such an amazing vast amount of different flavours to work with that I'm very, very lucky. And a lot of people come, especially distillers come and just, they look around and they look at the different casks and they look at the different types of wood and the sizes and they just go, how the fuck do you put this into a spreadsheet and work out what you're going to do? And that's that's their first fucking mistake. I don't have a spreadsheet. It's all in my mind. I know where I'm going in my mind. And it's been something, as I said in the beginning, it's something that is driven 100% by flavour. I know in my heart and in my mind that I'm steering different things in different flavours. And that's how I'm going to achieve it by, you know, double maturing or marrying one cask with another or triple maturing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like for those of you that that tried uh, batch 3.0, my first petered release, 17 different barrels to create that. Yeah. that was four different oak varieties, petered and unpetered, 17 different barrels. So it's, it's pretty crazy. And I oh, can, I, a, I can, I can, I can vouch for that. I can get another bottle of that off you, can't I, Dan? Uh, <laughs> I might know a guy. I'm just going to put a little bit of, um, sorry, Brad, I'm just going to put a little bit of transparency um, for the new new people listening to us. When we always, in this podcast, from day one, until the day we die, when we ask, can we have a bottle? Can we purchase a bottle? We don't get free stuff from the distillers and we will never accept it. We we buy, no. that's how we support Australian whiskey industry and we're very adamant about it. So, yeah, just keep well, that in mind, people. Distillers have to eat too. They've got to feed their families too. Of course. So, 100%. Absolutely. 100%. I find well, it very you're disrespectful. All, you're all so imagine imagine, imagine dog, that. Right? Distillers wanted to be, wanted to be paid for their product. <laughs> Who'd have thought? <laughs> yeah, I mean, some, some of you boys have been to, to the cellar door and to the distillery. You've seen how small the operation is. It's, um, mm. it's, <laughs> It's a minute 
operation compared to almost everywhere else in the country, um, everywhere else in the world. Um, and, you know, a lot of people speak to me and they talk to me about doing an event or getting some help or whatever they, they, they are coming to me with. And they, they say things like, oh, can, can you just have a chat with your, your marketing department? Or can, can you have a chat with your... Uh, <laughs> yeah, talking to him. Sorry, gents. Yeah, there ain't no marketing department. There's definitely no marketing budget. Uh, that's why, you know, I, a, a lot of people uh, might like to have a whinge and a sook and a cry and a carry-on when they see... Highwayman, oh my god, fucking Highwayman's on on Facebook again, blah blah. Well, that's that's my only fucking marketing. That's how mm. I market, promote, and advertise the company. I I live in fucking Mullumbimby. I'm in the middle of nowhere. There's no other way for me to actually advertise, market, and promote apart from social media. So you know, if you're if you're on AWAS and you don't like seeing uh, a, a picture or an you know, an upcoming batch for Highwayman, then you're on the wrong fucking Facebook group, dickhead. Fuck off <laughs> and join somewhere else. <laughs> Pretty simple. Yeah, Australian Whiskey Appreciation Society. If you're not there to get into a distiller promoting his new product, then you're on the wrong fucking side. Yeah. Dan, 100%. speaking of the marketing, um, and we can go down another rabbit hole here talking about all that. How, how the fuck did you just get it so right? I mean... Anyone who sees that, knows <laughs> <laughs> anyone, you know what I mean. Anyone who sees that, and like in the spiel tonight, I said like the 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 um the Steve riding Grim Reaper, you know, straight away the people know whiskey. They know that they know that logo straight away, mate. You got that. You got that. It's bang just on something head, I I played with for a long time. I had in my head for a really really long time. I morphed it. I changed it. I swapped it. I changed it again and. And at the end of the day, I wanted to make sure that the whiskey had its own identity. And I think it's something that it it definitely does. It has its own identity. And I think the fact that there's so many new Australian whiskies and so many new Australian whiskey brands that if you don't have your own identity, then yeah. you're fighting an uphill battle. You know, some, yeah. some of the best whiskey in Australia, if, if, the, if it's got... Rubbish branding and the bottle is average and the 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 label doesn't stand out and doesn't have its identity, then it'll just it will get lost in the crowd. There's so much out there at the moment that you need to have your own identity. And I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of distillers, they they discount the importance of having your own identity. Yeah. They discount the importance of having uh, a, a label that stands out, that, you know, can't be mistaken for something else or looks boring or just blends in. Because if, if you don't have your identity, you don't, you don't have a label that stands out, then you are going to be lost. You know, I'm, I'm lucky. I worked, I worked in the, the bar industry since, since 1995. Um, and I, I've represented some of the biggest whiskey brands in the world. So I, I, I come to the whiskey, uh, come, coming into my, my own whiskey company, my own whiskey brand, I already have this knowledge and understanding that uh, and more so I have the appreciation of how important 
it is to have your own identity, to have your own brand. Absolutely. Tell us, you, tell us a little bit about that time, um, Dan, prior to the, um, becoming a distiller. Um, you, um, you, were, you were in Europe too for a little bit? Uh, Matt, I did a lot of work for Beam Suntory. Um, I did a lot of work for William Grant. So I was the, the first Glenfiddich ambassador in Australia when uh, they opened their own office here in Sydney, Australia. I, I actually launched the first whiskey I ever launched was the Glenfiddich Snow Phoenix in 2010. Um, and that, that was a really, really good experience for me. It was, uh, it was, you know, it was an honor to launch such an amazing whiskey, but it was also, you know, it was such a great eye-opening experience to see that all of a sudden a whiskey was not just uh, about the, the liquid in the bottle. It was about the, the branding and the story and it being collectible and it was a really sought after whiskey. So for me, it was a, it was a really big eye opening experience for me. Um, I worked for the world of whiskey in Sydney, in double Bay. Um, at the time, this is going back 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Now um, at the time they were importing and distributing a lot of unknown whiskies from Scotland that nobody had ever heard of. Uh, brands like Aaron, like Ben Riach, like uh, Tully Barden, uh, Gordon and McPhail, some really beautiful, beautiful whiskies, but nobody had ever heard of them. So because I had such a, a great network of, uh, you know, bar owners, bar managers, bartenders, I was introducing uh, all of these people to whiskies that they'd never heard of before and then getting all of these whiskies ranged on the on the back bars and ranged on whiskey lists around uh, predominantly Sydney and Melbourne, um, and yeah, a little bit up in Brisbane as well. And you know, building building a good network of, of whiskey lovers and and whiskey followers, and you know, just lots and lots of different whiskey related stuff over the last fifteen years or so. I even worked for Diageo. Yeah. Oh God. Worked, uh, <laughs> you almost choked it just then. Yeah. That? Yeah. No. I, to, to be honest, I, I, I still firmly believe they own some of the most beautiful uh, whiskey distilleries in the world. You know, I, I will always love my my Lagavulin. I, I will always love Kalila. I love Talisca. Um, I love Oban. Um, they, they have some absolutely superb, superb whiskey distilleries that produce some of the best whiskey on planet Earth. Um, yep. So yeah, I've, I've worked for a lot of different companies over the last fifteen years or so, and it's it's due to the you know the experience and and the knowledge that I I gained through working with these whiskey companies and working with whiskey lovers that I for me I personally feel like I'm very very lucky and it gave me a, a, a head start and a, you know a, a more more than a head start it gave me a jump start over anyone else that's just opening their own distillery or, or launching their own brand. I'm, I'm already, you know, there's <laughs> a lot of people probably wouldn't even believe me, but it, there's at least minimum 50 bars, pubs, restaurants and venues around Australia that hassle me on a regular basis for Highwayman whiskey that I still haven't got around to even selling them a bottle because it sells out. 
So as the brand grows, as volume grows, then I'll be able to uh, to uh, sell bottles to all these places. So I'm, I'm very lucky that I, I have that um, that advantage over other people. So so just on that, so that's that's your I suppose that's your your grand plan at the moment is to be able to grow the volume, but at the same time maintain that quality and um, that flavoursome whiskey that you currently have. Yeah. Okay. So at, does at the that, moment, does that introduce some some difficulties in you know like because you know I think that you mentioned before about your the the number of barrels that you've got and the different sizes and the flavours and everything like that. It kind of means that it's difficult for you to make large volumes of of one particular whiskey, right? Is that no? Bec- that be because uh, I'm just coming into I in when was it November 2019? I basically started a strict uh, distilling. Schedule uh, and basically almost doubled uh, distilling, and at the moment uh, that that is just starting to come into uh, maturity now, and it means that I basically have about three thousand liters a year going into barrels. That that that's all starting to mature now. At the end of next year, I will have the opportunity to almost pretty much double capacity again. And that'll that'll bring me to between five and a half to six thousand liters a year. That is fucking nothing compared to any other distillery. Lafroig spill more on the fucking ground every year than that. So <laughs> I will definitely be able to keep my eyes, ears, nose, and palate over all of those barrels. Um, it is absolutely nothing compared to what any other distillery is doing. Um, so yeah, even though I am. I have increased volume, and I possibly—I won't. It's not definite, but I possibly will increase volume again. It's still minuscule compared to anyone else. But what you—I I suppose what you're saying is that you'll you'll increase the volume, but you'll maintain that the so um, you know the number of bottles in a batch that come out will probably stay around the same. You know, like if yeah, they will. They'll the just be, they'll be. It's just there'll, there'll be more, there'll be more releases. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yeah. 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 Understand. Oh, I've got to work more then, eh? Yeah. As we bring in, as we bring in, as we bring in Australian distillers into the podcast, we're starting to see a pattern of um, everyone running out of their batches. Do you think that's the one of the major hurdles with Australian distillers, Australian distilleries? I don't Just necessarily not enough whiskey a, being made. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think you know everybody wants what they can't have. So this is, I personally, I think is a good thing. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I, I feel like the the best thing about it, about um, Australian whiskey, is the craftness of it. And I say that in as much as the sorry, the small batch, um, yeah, part of it. You know, like the 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 uniqueness of each batch and the and you know yeah. the different flavors that you're getting. And you know, like I feel like that's the the biggest seller. So you know, I like. Yeah, I miss out on a lot of whiskey, you know, like it's that's just how it is. But um I like I don't whinge and moan about it. I like I I'm really happy that I'm getting the ones that I'm getting, to be all to be honest. You know, like it's not yeah, about the ones I, think, I miss out on, it's the one I get. <laughs> for me, if you 
I, don't, I mean, I can't speak for anyone else. But for me, would I rather have all my batches selling out and people drinking the whiskey or would I rather mm -hmm. have larger batches and just watch them sitting on the fucking shelves at bottle shops going anywhere, going nowhere. They're just sitting there gathering dust. So, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty obvious answer for me. I'd, mm -hmm. I'd like them to be selling out. I'd like people to be drinking the whiskey. I don't want them to just sit on a shelf. Yeah. Here's I, have one, Here's I have one more question. I have one yeah. more question. Um, do you, um, is it pretty consistent? The amount of time that uh, you spent when you, um, get the whiskey out of the barrel and into the bottles like um is there an average time or they no. vary no so they when i tip a barrel it will go into a stainless steel vat and it could stay in that vat sometimes it can be as little as two weeks sometimes it can be as much as three months um it will Sometimes, even after three months, it might have to go back into a barrel. So every whiskey behaves differently. You know, they're like humans. Some of them behave well, some of them not so well. You know, yeah, maybe. some of them, some of them are well. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a big fan of human beings in the first place. So, yeah, you, you we know. I love you. I love life, but I hate humans. Yeah, I just rather <laughs> hang out with dogs, man. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Uh, okay, so I've got, I've got a question, and, and it, it <laughs> may take us down a rabbit hole, but uh, I apologise for that, and you don't have to answer. When I, when I was there at the start of the year, or was it the end of the year, and it, it sort of goes to what you were saying before, you know, like you, we, we tipped a couple of casks, um, and we tasted it, and you said, before we tipped them, you said, I'm going to put these into those... Uh, I can't remember what they were. There were, there were some peated, peated. Um, no, they were American casts, I think. Anyway, you're going to put them in those, and then once we tipped them and we all, everybody tasted it, you went, "Oh, hang on a minute. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's what I want to do. It's it's yep. really complex already. Do I really want to take it to you know add more complexity and and so on? Or is it perfect? Yeah. Is it is it is it okay the way it is? Um, yeah. Sorry, is it is it good the way it is? And if I take it there, does it improve it or does it take away from it? Yeah. Um, my question to you is like you were asking us, and we're a bunch of numpties basically. Um, but um, and we all had opinions, you know. Like, um, do, is there somebody that you go to? Like, do you do you have people in the industry that no, you talk to about this sort of stuff? There's people in the distillery that I work with. Um, I do like to get uh, varied opinions from varied people, but ultimately, I'll always know. In you know, I'll always have a gut feeling of what I, what I'm going to do with it. Um, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you were asking us, but you knew what the yeah. answer was when you were asking yeah. us. Yeah. yeah, there's there's many times that uh, I've asked the boys in the distillery what what they they think of it, and they've They've actually said that's amazing. When are you bottling it? And I, I know deep down in my heart, there's no way that it's fucking ready to be called a highwayman. Um, so I, I will, you know, throw it back into something else. It needs, it needs to. Like I said, for me, I'll nose it and I'll taste it many, many times. And if I'm a hundred percent convinced 
that it is absolutely fucking fantastic whiskey and I'll be super happy to buy a bottle for 250 and I'll be super happy to go back and buy another bottle for 250 then it's ready to be bottled as a highwayman otherwise it's just not it's not going to happen you know that I, I was going to ask you a question before about whether you ever second guessed yourself but I, I I think you've answered the question because you you just know at that point that it's fine yep. if if it's anything short of that no I'm, I'm, I need needs to, to be something. perfect yeah. yeah okay wow that that tells a story doesn't it that's really cool it's my life you know it's my it's my reputation it's it's my passion it's you know keeps the roof over mine and my son's head and puts food on the table. It's my love. It's, you know, it's everything to me. It's, I was telling someone today that, you know, whiskey for me, it, it starts from the second that I wake up in the morning, the first things that I think about to all the way till I'm falling asleep. And that's not true because I do dream of whiskey as well. So it's, it's subconscious. It's in my conscious. It's breakfast, lunch, dinner. It is every fucking thing. You know, John's been to my house um that i the room i'm in now the living room there's there's over a thousand bottles of whiskey in this room there's just how much walls. how much shit did he knock off when he went to your house oh i i had the uh dog watching him very he, does, he doesn't know yeah. he doesn't know he doesn't have he said he doesn't have a spreadsheet Nick. So that's a good thing yeah, right. look at that look at you that you know what he he done there. very well in making sure that he poured me some exceptional whiskey to distract me from even thinking about knocking anything out of that. I don't, of his. I don't need a spreadsheet. I just have a couple of very sharp uh, Katana Samurai swords. <laughs> yes. You know, Dan, you know, were saying. You know, Dan, you were saying you, you dream about whiskey. We have a guy. We have a guy here on the far end. He dreams about whiskey too. When he wakes up, half the bottles are empty. <laughs> I have that problem. Didn't you make some whiskey up there, John, when you went up there a while back? Uh, yeah, well, I actually learned uh, through Mark Nicholson. I've done a, um, a distilling course at Lord Byron Distillery. So the very first peated run that Dan Woolley had done for his um his highwayman dissolute I learned on. So and I'm actually holding you know a very rare minute amount of that heavily peated dissolute which I learnt on or learnt with. So yeah, yeah it's quite the experience. The liquid in that in that little bottle that John has is actually, it's it's the only liquid in the world that still exists because the rest of that barrel, uh, I filled that barrel with John. We filled it together, um, and when I tipped it out, I sent him a little. It's, it's about eighty mil sample. Yeah. Um, the rest of it went into batch three point oh. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, which was the the it was a experimental Russian oak cast, Russian so, oak, which that I seasoned with tawny. Yeah, yeah. So and I dare say that not many people have heard of that beforehand, if I'm no. not mistaken. So no, it's, yeah, 
I've got lots of different experimental stuff There's a, uh, on the go, man. including what this is This is for. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, yeah, this will be going live next week, and it is my um, honey seasoned casks. Uh, I think it's probably going to go live on Wednesday. Um, I'll I'll confirm on Monday, but at this stage, it looks like it's going to go live on uh, Wednesday. Cool. Wednesday night. Cool. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's not here, you might have to put about put put four bottles aside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I might I might have to go, boys. I'm I haven't had dinner yep. yet, and it's sitting on the table. Just, uh, yeah. Just in front of me. Joel, it, is, it has been an absolute pleasure having you join us and walk us through mm-hmm. uh, three of possibly you know amongst the most rarest samples of whiskey that we'll ever get to try. Um, and it won't be the last time because I know there is more uh, samples that are sent out to you, gents, uh, for us to be walked through once again with, with Dan at a convenient time for yourself. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for uh, a wealth of knowledge. And personally, you're a mentor to myself as far as like uh, my current position as well. So, yeah, it means the world and more for you to join us tonight. Thank you, boys. Thanks very much, John. Thank you, Brad, Adrian, Mick. Very, very uh, thankful, very, very grateful for you boys to have me on here and very, very thankful for those whiskeys, John. Thank you, mate. Much appreciated. The next time we do this, we'll do uh, a couple more early batches of Highwayman and then after Mm -hmm. that, we'll have to get you boys up here for the Winter Whiskey Feast and we'll do one of these on the Saturday night of oh, 100%. the actual Ooh. event, and we'll do all peated whiskies. Yeah. Hang on, after uh, after the event, is that what you're saying? We'll see. But um, we'll see. Actually, one one thing I'd like to say, Dan, um, Wes expresses his sorrow that he couldn't join us today or tonight. Um, I know you've got a sample of the Wild River stuff, so I bet he is itching to get your uh, your thoughts on that as well. So maybe the next podcast when we're together you can crack that sample with Wes and I think he'd really appreciate your input with that as well but um, yeah look thanks 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 again mate I just can't thank you enough so yeah pleasure was all mine thank you boys Mm. thank you thanks for coming on being a river whiskey yeah thanks all cheers see you boys